You're listening to the Inbound Logistics Podcast with today's guest, Pete Mento, Vice President, Global Trade and Managed Services for Crane Worldwide. on customs and trade professionals to collect, organize, and maintain massive amounts of information amidst ever-changing compliance regulations can often reverberate up and down the supply chain. Pete Mento of Crane Worldwide has some information that might help importers and shippers better prepare their businesses to act before they need to react. Joining me this morning from early on the West Coast is Pete Mento returning uh, as our first return guest for the Inbound Logistics Podcast. Pete, thank you so much for joining us this morning. No, it's my pleasure. And it's not that early. I mean, come on. I'm used to East Coast time, so I'm, I'm, I'm not, I've been awake since probably 3 a.m., so I'm ready to rock and roll. Wow, nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, just a, a quick introduction again. Pete Mento is the Vice President of Global Trade and Managed Services for Crane Worldwide. Pete, can you tell us a little bit about that position? Absolutely. In that position, I'm responsible for all of our uh, customs operations worldwide. I also manage our consultative products, our high-security vertical, and uh, I'm involved in managing our lobbying efforts. From what we understand, we're the only freight forwarding firm maybe in the world that actually works on legislative relief and working on the uh, legislative side of things. And I'm also heavily involved in our software solutions for clients, software as a service, and managed services. And uh, today we're, we're going to be talking about compliance and customs. Uh, what is the state of compliance and customs enforcement today in 2018? Uh, it's crazy. So <laughs> I, can, I can remember back in, in 93 when you know, the Mod Act passed and suddenly companies were faced with the reality that import compliance was a real thing. And you know, it's funny we're having this conversation today because I'm actually at the International Compliance Professionals Association mm-hmm. annual meeting in San Diego. And in, in 1993, in the years preceding that, it would have been ridiculous to think that you could have gotten 800 people that all had some sort of, of corporate responsibility for trade compliance to get together in a, in, in a huge convention. It wasn't, it wasn't normally a thing for a company to have that sort of oversight. So over the years, people have taken it much more seriously. They they look at it as not just a hedge on a possible problem, but also as a way to focus on possible uh, opportunities and do minimization, trying to get their cargo entered more quickly, cargo security, et cetera, et cetera. But where we are today is a stark contrast to where we probably were maybe even five years ago. The the trade and customs seem to be at a bit of an impasse where, you know, all the partnerships and all the ways that we work together post 9-11, they appear to be not breaking down, but they're suffering from entropy. We're not paying attention to them like we used to. And I don't believe that that, that, that trust and sort of that, that mutual attitude towards making it more a more compliant process, a more secure process, is there like it used to be. So it's a strange dichotomy, right? We're, we're probably better prepared as a trade. We probably have more professionals focused on it than ever before. But the relationship with customs has definitely taken a step backwards. Mm-hmm. So how has that relationship between the trade community and, say, Customs Border Patrol changed, particularly recently? Well, it's changed mostly because uh, I've got some pretty strong opinions on this. I think, first of okay. all, many of the promises that were 
that was set out there about these customs partnerships, the import of self-assessment, CTPAC, Trusted Trader. Um, you've also got the Centers of Excellence. They really haven't followed through on the customs side. Many of the promises that were made for um, serious increases towards the, I, I guess, the way people were enforced um, in, in a more positive light, they didn't come true. All the statistics that customs kept to prove that CTPAT worked were the wrong statistics. Um, the centers of excellence, in all honesty, they are individuals who are learning to trade, and then as soon as they learn that particular harmonized tariff code or, or chapter or a particular um, mix, they end up going to work someplace else. So the, the trade just doesn't feel like they've been heard. And then on the, on the other side of that, you know, customs is under tremendous pressure, tremendous pressure to show results. I mean, you're talking about an organization that has blown billions of dollars on a computer system that doesn't work. They have uh, a very clear issue with illegal drugs coming into America that they're part of the mission on that. So you sense it all heroin, cocaine, all of them. And then, um, you know, ACE has, has uh, between ACE and CTPAT, they've got some egg on their face about whether or not these extremely expensive partnerships have actually worked. So that's a big part of it. I also think that, that you know, in 2018, you have to think about how your own relationships have changed. It wasn't all that uncommon for us to sit down and have face-to-face meetings with board directors all the time. Mm-hmm. For, you know, when you go to D.C., I would tell clients all the time, hey, when you're in D.C. for whatever conference or whatever it is you're doing, you want me to set up a meeting for you to meet with so-and-so or such-and-such customers. It doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more reflective of where we are as a society. Um you think about, you know, your own personal relationships. How often do you write letters? How often do you go out of your way to actually sit down and meet with people? We live in an era where text messages and social media statuses have taken over for, for what were meaningful relationships. <laughs> right, right. And I, I, I don't see that continuing. Customs themselves says, look at our Facebook page or Twitter or whatever if, you, if you're looking for more information. So there's been a, just a total breakdown in that relationship. So on the importer side, then, what do they need to be concerned with regarding import compliance? Right now, their biggest concern should be sort of an attitudinal shift, shift with regards to enforcement. Up until recently, if you were a top 5,000 importer, so the top 5,000 importers usually made up about 83% of entry volume, and that was out of maybe 700 and some odd thousand importers a year. So they were the, the big chunk of them. And if you were a top 5,000 importer, you were all but guaranteed to get audited at some point. So they were they were hyper vigilant, you know. They they put all the time and effort in. They definitely um, had all the right processes and the right people. That's not the case anymore. Uh, customs isn't necessarily just focused on the top five thousand. We're being told that they're looking for companies of all sizes and shapes, of, of all chapters in the code that they import, which are making repetitive mistakes that are statistically showing customs that they're not focused as well as other companies and making the same mistakes over and over again. You know, we, we talk a lot about these particular focus areas of customs that they're always looking at, and they haven't changed. They haven't changed like that in this business, you know, back when dinosaurs were on the earth and Nixon was president and whatever mm-hmm. long that was. But um, <laughs> they've been the same forever. How's your classification? Are you classifying the goods? Are you letting a broker do it based off a commercial invoice? Can you show how well you classify them if you're ever asked about it because it really comes down to your ability to back up what you thought. Um, do you do free trade agreements? Are you importing a lot of NAFTA, GSP, 
And can you back up that he's actually qualified for it? You know, just because something came from Mexico doesn't mean it was made there. So are you, are you able to, to show it was made? Um, you know, a really big one these days, Chapter 98 programs for U.S. gets returned. You're importing something from China. Can you prove that it was the same thing that was exported from the United States? You just can't make it any, any, uh, any assumptions. Record keeping, it's ridiculous that in 2018, so many of my clients are still keeping paper records. <laughs> you know? I mean, honestly, who, who still has a filing cabinet in their house? Right, right. We should be focused on the same way that they were. Countervailing and anti-dumping duties, massive. And I think under the Trump administration, we're going to continue to see that focus and push towards those. If you're importing something with countervailing anti-dumping duties, are you paying them? How are you accounting for them? Another one that tends to trip people up is this idea of overage shortages and damages. You know, you import something and you open the container and lo and behold, 20 boxes got wet on the way because there was a pinhole in that piece of chunk mm-hmm. container that you got. Your customs house broker made entry based on the documents. So as far as they're concerned, you got a hundred of these things, even though maybe you paid for 80 of them. So your records won't reflect what the customs broker put in. Do you have a process for letting them know about those changes? Uh, that's, Actually, a lot bigger, I think, than, than people tend to realize. It comes up again and again and again uh, during an audit. How do you deal with agents? That's another big one. Do you have buying agents and selling agents? It might not be as, as common as it used to be, but it still matters. Country of origin. When I was a kid, back in the 70s, I would go to large box stores, and practically everything was made in the U.S. Now, practically everything isn't. And country of origin marking is a massive a massive issue, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I don't think that people still take it seriously as consumers. You know, Americans, we, we tend to buy something based on its brand name, not right. necessarily based on where it came from, but that, that still matters. It still matters mm-hmm. in, a, in, in such a way. And lastly, valuation. How are you and your compatriots valuing the goods, particularly if it's from a related party? Related party imports are highly scrutinized by the government. So if you're focusing on those things and you're creating processes to manage those things, in the course of an audit, you're going to be fine. But if you're not actively working towards those, you're going to find yourself behind the eight ball when things go sideways. So what are some big takeaways that you have for importers to prepare themselves for, for all these changes? Yeah, you know, this is one of those instances where I wish I could give you, hey, it's 2018 and, and here's, here's some new dangled awesome thing you could be. It's not. It's, the same. <laughs> it's, it's like it's the, it's the lamest straightforward, same thing that it's been forever. You need to pull your data. There's two ways to do it. You can get it through ACE if you're using ACE portal. If you're not, there's a program called iTrack where you can send, I think it's 200 bucks now to customs, and they'll send you all of your import activity for the past five years. It is shocking to me how often I visit a a client and they tell me they don't do that. They don't look at their past data. Um, And then, you know, the, the other side of it, have a great compliance manual, conduct your audits frequently, and do what you can to ensure that your processes work. Because in the course of a focused assessment, that's exactly what they're going to look at, is whether or not your import processes work. If you don't have a compliance manual, if you don't have import compliance processes, you're going to fail an audit, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a bad time. So put the work in up front. Look at your data. You're going to be just fine. It's that whole proper prior planning thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because if not, you're going to get hit in the face with a shovel of wisdom. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a very pleasant feeling. Right, right. How about on the other side, the shipper side? Are there any global hotspots that shippers should be concerned with regarding compliance? Yes. Um, currently, Canada, 
has really stepped up their enforcement efforts. So many of the you know U.S. importers are also operating as non-resident importers in Canada, or they have they have relationships in Canada. Um, the Canadian Customs Service is no joke. They are just as serious about enforcement as any of their global brethren, and they're actually quite good at what they do. So you know, tip of the cap to to the folks uh, on the Canadian side mm-hmm. in revenue on their ability to audit. I think people get a notice that they're going to be going through an enforcement action in Canada, and they don't take it as seriously. They should absolutely take it as seriously. Another uh, area that we're seeing stepped-up enforcement is actually China. So for companies that are engaged in import of record activities in China, people that are engaged in uh, even export activities in China, they should be paying particular attention to what's going on there. And then we're all, of course, watching Europe very closely, wondering what's going to happen with Brexit. Um, if if uh, Her Majesty's excise and revenue over there in the UK decided to go in at their own, you can pretty much rest assured that that enforcement activity will definitely increase in the UK. Mm. So given some of these change dynamics, based on recent US policies, what steps can shippers take to ensure that they react to the changes quickly so they don't they don't throw off their supply chain? Yeah. Um, we have gotten more and more calls lately about this idea of creating a global compliance program, which really wasn't the it wasn't the course people took in the past. And the the idea is pretty simple. Just about every country in the world has standards for those nine deadly sins we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So creating a global compliance process, no matter where you operate, putting it down on paper, creating a compliance manual associated with it, that's just common sense. Um, and then creating a regional compliance process that sort of shores up the other expectations. So those are a, a great place to start. But I think that more importantly, you know, we all have these just-in-time supply chains. We need to have some just-in-case. If, if you find that things are, are getting a little tighter, a little more complicated and complex in areas of the world that you're, you're working in, it's in your best interest to always have a second follow-up, to have a second place you can turn to if, um, if you find yourself um, in a negative enforcement action with a foreign country. Great. Pete Mento, some great advice. Uh, appreciate all the uh, time you set aside for us this morning, and uh, best of luck out there on the West Coast. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Inbound Logistics Magazine is the information leader in supply chain and logistics management. Start your free print and digital subscription today by visiting bit.ly slash get il. That's bit.ly slash get underscore il and stay ahead of the 3PL game. Inbound Logistics Podcast is a production of Inbound Logistics Magazine. For the most in-depth information around logistics, transportation, and supply chain practices, get your free print and digital subscription at inboundlogistics.com slash subscribe. Connect with us via LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for the most current developments in the industry. If you'd like to leave us some feedback or have a topic you'd like to see covered in a future episode, call our dialogue line at 888-878-3247 or leave us an email at podcast at inboundlogistics.com. I'm your host, Jeff Vita. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time here on the Inbound Logistics Podcast.